Hi, it's Kate here. I'm in the potting shed today because in this episode I get to talk to flower grower, photographer, writer and consultant clinical psychologist Grace Alexander. I've been following Grace for a while and she has this beautiful way of drawing us into her idyllic world of thatched cottages, of stolen moments of beauty, of sunbeams illuminating corners in dusty tones of uh, chestnut and coral and linen and artisan made objects. And this is through her Gather with Grace Alexander community, the seeds that she sells and her gorgeous newsletter and her new book, which is called Grow and Gather. So I thought she'd be kind of floaty and fey, and I was completely wrong. She's grounded in social justice and in a sense of who she is and what she's here to do. And this is what we talked about. It's a deep conversation about how childhood experience builds us into the people that we are today. We talk about slowing down our lives, about how to be present, her writing process, her day job as a psychologist, how she fits it all in and avoids burnout, and the overriding warmth and how healing that is, and the difficulty of nurturing ourselves in this culture of toxic productivity, plus of course her excellent top tip for a wonderful life. I find that gardening is both deeply, deeply healing and wonderful and therapeutic, and also it drives me mad. <laughs> yeah. It drives me crackers. So yeah. because you are very, well, from, from the way that you present your gardening life, it looks <laughs> flipping gorgeous. <laughs> I'm very curious about your experience about of that. I think my experience of that is that gardening is a little bit like housework and in a lot of ways like life in general which is if you accept that the universe is trying to move you continuously towards chaos and your job as a human being is to try and stop it going towards chaos and imposing some order on it it's sort of all the ideas around entropy and things like that um, but it is a sort of never-ending Sisyphean task, which is finding that beautiful spot between I have gardened this space so much that it looks like its best natural, beautiful self. Mm. And it's not that imposed, stiff, manicured, roundup, you know, moan, all of that sort of where humanity has just sucked the soul out of a piece of ground. Um, but I'm, although I'm quite a chaotic sort of person, I'm not very good at the idea that I'm not, not, not in control. That's not quite the right way of saying it. I live life at quite a fast pace and I find the fact that I can blink and a, my asparagus bed was immaculate three weeks ago. Immaculate. I've literally blinked. I've gone and worked on a different area of the garden and it's now just full of bindweed again. It's got thistles in it. 
the worst thing is it's also got beautiful things in it. I know that some of it is nigella and some of it is olea. And so I can't just dig it all out. I've got to very carefully go through everything, which um, when I have a to-do list of a gazillion other things, I find quite difficult. So and I have written about this before and I have talked about this. That I really do. I struggle with this idea that gardening as an activity is inherently therapeutic because I think there's too much it brings up too much human weakness and it brings up your edges and it brings up if you have any issues around control or any issues around um, all of that you will find those things in trying to garden saying that I find being I find beauty incredibly healing so you have you have the most for people who haven't encountered you you have the most extraordinary delicate aesthetic that's somewhere between sort of bruise and <laughs> bag and it's moody <laughs> and sexy and oh to die for so it's clear it's clear it's clear that you're that's absolutely everything I was aiming for. So that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. I know I do occasionally threaten that I'm just going to dig everything up and I'm only going to grow brown flowers. Um, uh, I have red hair and, you know, everything has to be no black, no white, no shiny. My cocker spaniel is the exception, but I didn't choose him. He chose me. Um, so everything is sort of those muted, dusty, autumnal tones. Even in spring, we're recording this at the beginning of what's well, summer now, beginning of June, and all of my irises are out and they're all dark red, brown. There's the odd sort of gold, corally orange. But um, yeah, I do have a very, very specific aesthetic. And the, be the beauty of engaging mindfully with beauty of any kind whether it's you know a, a pot or a flower or a mm. or a painting it's just it, it brings us into the present doesn't it I mean it's deeply it's deeply healing in that we are forced mm. to come into the now and experience mm. our crazy our crazy thoughts yes and I do find that I have to do that at one remove so when I am actively working my fields I'm very often berating myself for the past so I really wish I'd you know we did this when it wasn't quite so overgrown <laughs> or I'm constantly in the future what shall I put here what's this going to look like next year or oh, next year I'm going to make sure I get that in a bit earlier I'm sort of moving through time a lot with that but the way I find that I can really drop into that very present moment is when I'm capturing that beauty so photography has been a huge huge thing for me um, for probably the, for the first five years I was very much in that I know what I like but I don't know how to find that a way of doing that and then I slowly started to be able to do it. And those moments of capturing something, those are my moments of here, now, nothing else is, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not regretting, planning, dreaming, hoping, nothing exists except my relationship with this object that I'm trying to just find the right lights to just capture this thing. And it's so, 
it's so unexpected when that happens it's a bit like a flow state you almost you can't plan it and you can't see it coming and you can't it's like at the weekend I cut lots of peonies and um, I was photographing these peonies and it was all lovely and it was wonderful and you know who doesn't like peonies and then I found a tiny white aquilegia under a bay tree like I, it was only because I was you know trimming some hedges and things in the kitchen garden and just sort of oh there it was and I cut it and I brought it inside and that was just it was so perfect and so exquisite and the light and that in a way it's such a visual representation for me my photography is very often one thing on a blank background I rarely do sort of landscapes I do a bit but you know it's only because Instagram says I'm boring otherwise but um my the one that probably people would recognize as mine would be that single flower on a very it's my lime wall in my sitting room with side light of just that and I think maybe maybe I need that to really appreciate beauty maybe there's too much beauty in a garden maybe there's too much well, I've, you know I've been I've been exploring because like you when I'm gardening you know I'm I have you said earlier before I pressed record that we garden like we do everything else (laughs) yeah which I think is is really really astute because in my head there's always the oh god well this isn't very good pink I hate this pink what is it doing here (laughs) (laughs) but I'm too attached to plants to you know I have I have a whole lot of crazy stuff going on yeah yeah so I've, I've, I've tried to bring in moments of mindfulness into my time outside when I'm working in the garden and when I'm sort of, I don't know, doodling around, standing mm. on grass and bare feet, which is what I was just doing before this call. Um, and what, I, what I've discovered is that I have to concentrate on one sense at a time. I have to narrow right. down the bandwidth. So I either have to listen with my eyes shut or I have to feel, or I have to open energy to something. But to do do more than one sense at a time, I just get overwhelmed. But I I think I I see that in what you had, the way you're describing your photographic process to kind of edit everything down so that we can then see. Yeah. That's such an interesting, such an interesting thing to say and it's just triggered off all sorts of thoughts about what my first thought was um there are roses out at the moment and I can smell roses wherever I go because I've got them dotted or (laughs) didn't have enough space in any one place so I've got them sort of in lots and lots of different places and I don't know which rose it is that's that's smelling and I keep thinking I must I must take the time to go around and just stand by each one Mm. and try and work out I think it's constant spry but I'm not sure um and I haven't done it yet and that's so interesting that I think that's such a fascinating way of interacting and just being with yeah but maybe there's just so much being with a lover you know, you're, if you're with someone or a friend or something and you open your, you open your heart mm. to the person and you kind of drink them in, 
you know mm. if you think about that kind of in in love flow state and you're mm. like, oh. yeah and then you're absolutely focused on the beloved and there's nothing else yeah and if if well I'm not managing it very often I have to say but what I would aspire to is to have that degree of openness to the task or to the plant or to yeah. the sense mm. I mean, I definitely personify my field. We're definitely a team. I definitely think of her as um, is it too weird to say a colleague? Like it feels like my me and me and her, we run our business, this business together. It's um, yeah, and maybe I don't, I don't drink her in in that way it's a bit more right guys what are we gonna do today right excellent come on then and, um, <laughs> job, she, job. yeah a little bit like that and I did I did say to someone the other day they said oh you know I'd love to I'd love to start you know do something like you were doing and I love gardening I said, that's great don't make it a business <laughs> changes everything changes everything um but not not in a catastrophic way in a it's a different relationship she's not my lover she's not you know we don't gaze into each other's eyes and you know I don't frolic around in linen looking like you know um I'm in there in boots and we work but together that's, but that's but now you've made you're messing with my head I know I know I know <laughs> but I'm I do quite actively avoid the um the linen dress and the trug the trug aesthetic because I think I, I can't keep that real I can't um yeah yeah so that's I'd, I'd love to um hear more about your book it's very exciting yeah but can we can we we can't get our sticky fingers on it yet but can we order it yes you can pre-order it so um interestingly I mean, the book came out of a very similar experience to the photography, although I think probably writing came long before photography and is, is probably is my natural means of expression. I write, I have a day job as well, where I write a lot. Um, and writing has always been something that has been part of, not in a sort of, I sit down and write journals or novels, but I write in a quite a functional um, technical sort of way and writing became a way of me trying to capture exactly what we were just talking about those mindful present moments of um, you you put a seed in a pot and you think I'll remember what that is I'll never forget what that is I don't need to label that I absolutely remember that that's those very special black climbing beans that someone's given me and then you come back two weeks later and you have no idea what we, because the we just we think things are so emotionally important in the moment and then the brain moves on and you think oh god we should have written that down um and I found um a gardener's diary from some Victorian era when big houses had you know huge walled gardens and there was just a you know a jobbing gardener just wrote every day for 40 years wrote what the weather was like what he'd done just a sentence not a, not a jobs list just a sentence and I was just like that's 
that's that feels so powerful and so I started to do that for the garden and for the flower field and I have dogs and when I walk my dogs every day most days we will see something new so the dog roses have just started coming out or when the wild garlic comes or they put up a deer and you know um and I wanted to record those things as well because I'm one of those people that just lives in my head the whole time and I live just too much not in the moment so I started writing a daily gardener's journal which became my Sunday night newsletter feel free to sign up we've just had a hundredth believe it or not a hundredth episode of they, are, newsletter. they are glorious they're absolutely glorious we we get to it's I was saying earlier we it feels like you're embracing us into this mm. kind of very real but very idealized beautiful and linen, that... linen flavored <laughs> colored life <laughs> I'm wearing linen shirts you can't your listeners won't be able to see me, but I'm wearing a shirt. It's just not a frock. I'm just not a very frock sort of person. Very frocky. Um, not very frocky. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so so that's that's how I sort of try to put exactly what you were saying earlier about maybe just reducing to one sense or one medium. And I added photography, obviously, and that that has also become part of the newsletters. So um, about 18 months ago, I was approached by quite a few publishers. We had a bit of a bidding war, actually, when it all started. I know, I know, it was mad. Um, it turns out all sorts of people signed up to my newsletter. I've just found out that a, an editor from Germany has been subscribing to it forever and has bought the rights to my book, which I was like, oh, who knew? I mean, I don't that know what... That is so cool. I know, like, I have to email my publisher and say, is this, like, she sends me emails like, oh my god this most amazing thing has happened and I'm like I have no frame of reference for this is this good is Germany good she's Germany's amazing they never <laughs> buy books in advance it's like oh okay um so I wrote a book and it was photographed by um Dean Hearn who is half of the future kept who also has a lovely aesthetic which is very me so that worked really well and um we're going through all those sort of last, you know, finalising commas and do you like this colour and what about that colour and this is the front cover and and it's out on the 16th of September, which is coincidentally Chelsea month, uh, Chelsea week. So hopefully everybody we want to be thinking about gardening. Um, and it's called Grow and Gather by Grace Alexander. Oh. Yeah. And there's, I mean, how excited do you feel? Scale one to ten? Like ten vibrating zero <laughs> meh how cool is that um, it is very cool it is very cool um I don't know if this is I don't know if I'm defending myself against disappointment and the sort of the exposure and the vulnerability that comes with the process but I I'm not I'm just not sure how I feel about it really and lots of people have said this to me is when they've published through traditional publishers I think it is a bit different if you self-publish that there's so many other people involved in it there's a bit of an element of you know I love writing my newsletter because it's just me and there's always a typo in it somewhere always it's like the you know the rugs that have to have an imperfection to show that they're not perfect <laughs> all of my typos have a all of my newsletters have a typo in um yeah so there is something there is something very different about this experience I'm used to that very personal very connected it is when I write I'm just it's literally you the reader and me that's it 
so it's a it is a very different thing to They're like the baby being brought up by the by the nanny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is a bit kind of, like that. You, you pushed you pushed it out and it's kind of <laughs> taken care of elsewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Writing writing by yourself has this directness because you're writing directly to them. You press the send button and then you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's much more immediate. Yeah, and I, you know, it's very much in real time. And every so often someone says, Oh, you should have some proofread your newsletter. So nobody works at half past seven on a Sunday night, and I'm I write it, you know, and it goes at eight o'clock on a Sunday night. I'll have, you know, I'll have just finished putting it together when I press send. And that's that's also sort of how I work as well. That's just having said that I'm very often sort of moving around in in time, I'm also quite immediate and quite I think that's part of the the realness as well and my authenticity is nothing's contrived nothing's I don't overthink things I really don't maybe I should no no life is good no. Life is I was just being polite when I said that really I don't I know I'm not gonna overthink things <laughs> <laughs> as a psychologist I know exactly how much to think about things <laughs> yes because that that's that's also why I wanted to Reeve, we're so excited to talk to you because you bring the gardening and this psychologist head together. So how how do they, well, how do you manage to squeeze it all in, actually? This is really what I want to know. You've got a lot going on. You've got, you've got the book, you've got Gather, which is your gorgeous community, which mm. oh, I love Gather. Also, also sign up and join in with and with all sorts of wonderful practical stuff and beautiful stuff and I think I think I've, somewhere you said something about gathering around a fire and having a little chat and a yeah yeah it was always always tea, <laughs> and a day but... job and and a field and a garden and, a field. and three dogs and everything else in your life so how, how the hell does that work to do all that um I mean there's there's a couple of different answers of that to that in terms of probably there's a couple of different levels I think the first the first thing to say is I don't have children and that makes my life a gazillion times easier it means I get to do what I want how I want when I want and I don't have to compromise in terms of how I spend my time mm. um, I am a child protection psychologist which means things happen unexpectedly often in crisis and often it's all a bit mad when things kick off um, but I am the clinical director of a residential assessment service. So my job is I run a team of people and I run a service where parents and children, often tiny children, very little children, come and live with us for up to three months and we um, assess them living with us. So actually my day job has no boundaries because things we people are with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Christmas their birthdays everything there is no time off at all and data is being produced all of the time but it means that very early on in my job there was never a traditional why weren't you in at nine o'clock or 10 to five time to go home it's just you do the job and you make sure everyone's safe and you make sure that the right assessments are done and you make sure that when everything goes to court the right decisions are made for the children doesn't matter how you do it, doesn't matter when you do it, doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the morning. And a lot of that job is me supporting safeguarding incidents or it's supporting my team or it's writing. 
And so very often I would write at night because when, you, when you're writing something like that, I, well, no, I'll own that. When I'm writing something like that, I need a deadline, caffeine and sugar. So I get to about sort of nine o'clock at night, have a bit of a panic attack, like bucket of tea, packet of biscuits and write until two o'clock in the morning. And there would be this beautiful report at the end of it. Um, probably with a typo in, to be fair. But anyway, that's life. Um, but it meant that my hours were just all over the place. So it meant that if I needed to come home, pack an order at 10 o'clock or, you know, I needed to get my tulips in at a certain time. That's what I did. As long as I was doing my job, as long as I was working my hours, didn't matter when I was doing them. Um, and so I just fitted everything in. Everything so you, in. I, you must have the most phenomenal constitution and extraordinary in, internal boundaries to do that. Where are your edges? I mean, I, for me, I'm quite permeable. Mm. I need really, I need routine. I'm like a Labrador. <laughs> I need routine. I need this thing and that thing. Otherwise, I'm like... No, I'm like, you know, those, um, you know those Excel spreadsheets that you've got like tabs at the bottom? Yeah. I can tab constantly between different things. Wow. So, yeah, so it's... It, it, we. We have members of our team at work, we have members of our team who can and can't. So um, I can do that thing where someone says, God, they're a bit like, um, and I'll go, that person. Yeah. I, I have a brain that just, I can set shift incredibly quickly and very accurately and just go back to what I was doing and then do something else and go back to what I was doing, do something else. Wow. It's probably got harder as I've got older. Can I hold um, you Oh, I'm 40. Okay, so you're 40. not perimenopause yet. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's very hot today. <laughs> I genuinely. <laughs> <You can tell. laughs> I'm yeah, I yeah. I was drinking a cup of coffee this, uh, the other day, and I was thinking it's 30 degrees. I'm drinking hot coffee, and I've got a vest on. Is this <laughs> is this the menopause, or am I just hot? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely in that time of life where when things happen, I go, oh, is this it? Is this the bit no. But if you're, um, tab if you're tabbing through um, Excel sheets in your head. Um, yeah. Probably not. Yeah. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I have such envy of that skill. Well, but like you say, I mean, it's, it, it means that I have a certain, I have a certain type of boundaries, but it means that I am never, I don't really switch off. I find it very difficult. I mean, that is partly just by virtue, if I'm perfectly honest with you, is although I'm not technically full time at work anymore because of the nature of the work, I'm always on call. I'm always doing things. I'm always, you know, if anything happens, ring me, I'm there. Um, and the business has gone mad. I mean, it's huge. It's a proper full time business. I, I'm such a control freak. I can't outsource anything, but probably... I should have somebody packing my seeds for me. I should probably have somebody doing my social media for me and somebody answering my emails for me. It's never going to happen. So I do everything <laughs> all the time. Um, so yes, there is, there is very much, you know, a shadow side to that. So don't envy it too much. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Don't sit down much. Or if I do, I'm writing or emailing mm. or, Yeah. Can we yeah. circle back round to where we started about gardening and being therapeutic or not? Because I, I, 
it's stuck in my mind what you, what you said. And I, I think that the fact that we meet our edges so often in gardening, the, you know, the internal criticism about that stupid, mm. that stupid pink poppy, which I know is going to flower really soon. It's like, oh, the poppy's going to flower. Oh, the poppy's going to flower. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Yeah. It brings us, it brings us, it's wanting to bring us into awareness. Yeah. And I do think that is therapeutic. Yes, it hurts, but there's a movement for us. There's a, a movement that brings us more towards where we need to pay attention, mm. whether it's loss, you know, mm. the picking slugs have munched up a whole row of seedlings or, you know, yeah. forces us to deal with stuff. Yeah, I mean, the similarity between my job and my growing um, is probably, I've never really articulated it out loud, I've thought about it a few times, is probably the nurture of others at the expense of myself. Mm you know you don't work in child protection unless you're willing to put up with some fairly grim stuff and I always say I will do that because for whatever reason I was given the gift of being good at what I do um and it's very hard to say I'm going to walk away from that and I'm going to let children just fend for themselves or somebody else can do it even though I probably won't do it as well as me <laughs> um and I think one of the things that I find so hard with gardening is in order to to garden and just going back to the idea of the continuum this sort of um wilderness and not not, not necessarily wilding because i think you know if i let my my field just rewild i would just have a lot of nettles very quickly it, it wouldn't be a balanced ecosystem it would just be a lot of nettles um and that, you know, really rigidly controlled manicured discipline. Like you, if I've got a flower, I think, oh, I don't really want it in that colour. There's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to dig it up or throw it away. I'm going to nurture it, even though I don't really want it. I'm going to, you know, if there's self-sewn foxgloves in a bit that I was going to put the, you know, put the kale in, I just have to put the kale around the foxglove. Like I can't, I can't, yeah. So there is, there is something about, nurture is prioritized over everything even if that's not necessarily what I want or what's good for, my, for me in terms of the person that's controlling this but somehow that that trumps everything there's, there's something in what you're saying about allowing things to find their natural growth pattern you know yeah if you, if you can give a family enough space and sort out the yeah messy bits then yeah. everybody can grow. And it's the same when you have, you know, foxgloves and kale. Yeah. Yeah. How do, you, what, how do you avoid burning up? Because in child protection, people don't last that long. No, no. Um, how do I avoid burning out? Um, There's a question that's asked on the assumption that I haven't. 
which I haven't. I haven't. Occasionally, I get emails from people saying, I'm really worried about you. You sound like you're really stressed. I think you're burning out. I'm like, mm, well, I'm not. Um, probably. Probably because there is such a fit between what I do and my innate character and constitution, how much that job taps into my strengths and how much that job, that job, the job, my job, taps into my values and how much I'm valued by my team, I would probably say, which now I'm not burnt out and I'm not burning out, but I can see the impact on me of what I do in terms of um, how much I have to numb my own feelings. Not in a you know catastrophic way, but you know what Brene Brown is says you, you can't selectively numb. And when so I had a terrible, terrible day yesterday where a barrister just shouted at me for hours. You know, I'd done exactly the right assessment, I'd come to exactly the right conclusions and everything was right for the children. You know, it was absolutely, but part of the process is she gets, you know, as much airtime as she likes to just shout at me. And they could hear it in the next room. I was on Teams in my office and she was just shouting at me. Um, and that I find infinitely harder to manage than any of the trauma that I see in the families. That because my job is to help people. And when you are being attacked, I'm not good at being. I stand my ground, trust me, I will absolutely stand my ground, but it's those, it's that that I find harder mm. to keep bouncing back from every time, you know, than mm. the sadness of the work and the and the hardness of the of the mm. families themselves. Mm. But um but that's I mean that's the process that we have that you know mm. every family has the right to challenge someone like me who's saying, mm, do you know what? It's not okay, it's not safe. Um, and I do believe that I go through that so the children are safe and that's you know I'm a grown-up and I can take it so um, did that answer the question about how do I not burn out everyone thinks it's I come home to my garden and I stand in my garden feeling all relaxed <laughs> no I've absolutely burnt that myth haven't I <laughs> um what i heard you say was that you your the skills that your job requires are a really good fit yeah uh yeah. That you feel appreciated by your team so val you you feel valued yeah. by um by the people around you and something else that i've now forgotten <laughs> uh, my values there's a good fit yes. between my yeah. values so you have you know, a really strong sense of uh, social justice don't you i do i do i mean it's interesting because also a couple of things you've commented on um, are warmth mm. when you talk about me being quite warm. And for me, the thing that I, you know, spend a lot of my time, my day job thinking about and talking about and trying to explain to parents who might have had horrific histories themselves is the importance of warmth in caring for children and that sort of how you just express love and you create a sense of safety in children and you do that through warmth mm -hmm. and I'm quite but unusual tell me more about that tell me more about warmth warmth I mean 
Um, it means a sensitivity to others, to otherness. It means a softness, even when you are being, you know, I'm, I'm not in any way a wafty sort of person. I'm, you know, and quite often people will describe me as quite scary. Um, but there is a softness and there is a gentleness. And because I am around children a lot, I think that's really important to them that they experience me as warm. So it sort of becomes quite generalized, I think. Mm. Um, I think part of it is also because our society can't cope with women who are not warm. I think if I turn my warmth off, you would be judged as being a bitch, being ambitious, being ruthless, yeah. all the negativity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, see, look, you know, yeah, we all soften it with a bit of a laugh and okay. oh, you know, but it's fine. Um, but I have a combination of strength and warmth. Mm. Like nobody messes with me. You do not, you know, professionally, you know, Barry's gonna shout at me for two hours, she's gonna get absolutely fucking nowhere. Mm. Um because I'm incredibly grounded and incredibly rooted in my sense of self. Mm. but from that position it means that I can accommodate a really wide range of, of, of other people's sort of positions so children who have been very frightened or very traumatized they recognize and parents parents probably more than the children they they recognize a sense of um containment mm. and actually I think it's containment as much as it is warmth um so, so I, I would call that, I would put that along the lines of safety. It's creating a safe container is what mm. the jargon in my world. Yeah. But it's interesting when, um, when people reflect back to me, what I do with Gather or what I do with my newsletter or what I even do with just my Instagram is there's a sort of, a sort of very connection, a connected sort of a grounding. Mm there's a sense of, of not relief that's not quite the right word but yeah something about that safety of um I can say I've had a bad day but you all know I'm going to be all right you know you can connect to it in a sort of this isn't someone who's having a meltdown it, it, it's just okay to articulate that it's been a bad day you know or it's just there is something I hope very calming and very grounding I love the word grounding doesn't that say so much about ground um, so yeah well that, that opens up other, other things I wanted to um well I'm just because of my big sticky beak <laughs> sticking my big sticky beak in um how did you come by this sense of self did you did you inherit that from your parents this sense of self this grand sort of grounding in yourself was that from um, your upbringing Um, my upbringing was very much around I'm valued for what I do not who I am um, I don't necessarily so my dad said says 
with some sense of bafflement, as if he's got nothing to do with this. When you were little, you just didn't want to be cuddled. <laughs> I can't think why. Um, so actually, I grew up in a house with quite a lot of anger. Um, and my parents had a horrendous divorce when I was around 14, 15. And so I project a huge amount of my own lack of nurture onto children. So I give them and I make sure they have the life that they deserve. They have the nurture that they deserve. They have the warmth that they deserve um, because I didn't have that. Mm. Uh, and so I think the warmth comes from knowing what it feels like to not have warmth. It comes from I'm a compulsive caregiver. I find my value in I prove my worth in being of value to others emotionally, mm. um, which is a child of a postnatally depressed mother. <laughs> um, and I don't ever want anyone to feel bad, which is ridiculous given that I what I tell people at the end of my assessments but in the moment I never want people to feel bad um so yeah so it's a sort of complex constellation of small t trauma and attachment stuff um which I think I probably won't fully unpick until I don't do the job that I do anymore I think whilst it's too it's too egocentric, it works too well for me to to have these sort of features in my psyche, um, and for them to express them in the ways that I do. And I'm hugely reinforced for having them as well. You know, I'm hugely valued in you know what I do. I'm very senior in my role, and um, yeah, I think there might be one day where I say, "We're going to turn this inwards anytime soon. We're going to start nurturing ourselves at all." How do we feel about that? It's probably about another two and a half years away yet. I know I don't do it. Um, and I sort of can imagine thinking about doing it, but I can't actually think about what it would really, truly look like mm. to turn what I give to others back onto myself. I think that would be a very exciting adventure. Yeah, people do. I just think it's petrifying. <laughs> Adventure. <laughs> oh my god. I say yeah. yeah. Because but then, then I'll get then I'll get people saying, What do you do all day? What do you mean you've you've jacked in your job? You know, <laughs> what do you do all like <gasps> and then it sort of reactivates all my sort of you know. But yeah, I know I, I can see it and it's it's certainly in my future and um I am exploring those internally and I am you know but the resistance comes when you move away from it when you're in it and you're doing it it feels so flow state that actually you don't have to challenge anything but um yeah uh so I am now three days a week at work which I never thought would ever happen ever um and from the end of July I will be technically two days and yeah. then yeah we'll see we'll see what what moves in to fill that space mm. um i mean my 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 fear not my fear my um yeah maybe my fear is that i will create a life a sort of self-employed job business entrepreneurship sort of thing which just replicates everything i ever did in my job and i'm yeah i'm just my own boss then i'm you know and i get to you know um 
not give myself lunch breaks, you know, to myself rather than, you know, blaming it on someone else. Yeah, you have to do um, oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really mindful and aware of those things and I'm not, um, I'm very carefully not rushing or pushing too hard in either direction. I'm just sort of letting it sit there for a bit and just being curious about what will come up for me. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it do doesn't help that my husband has recently retrained as a doctor. And so his work tempo is, is quite strong. So it's quite hard to, I find it is quite hard. I find it really hard to um, allow myself that very calm nurturing when he sort of falls in the door after a day, you know, in the hospital on the acute medical wards you know and I'm a bit like oh I was trying to just create some space for rest and I feel quite tired and he's like you're tired and I'm like oh, right okay oh, the um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, okay. um, but you know that's he's made his choices and you know I entirely support you know everything he does but it is just I think we sort of reference society earlier about what what society holds us to but there are closer things as well there are sort of inner systems as well that we take on and, and you know toxic productivity and I have an internalized capitalist who is really resistant to shifting like really tricky um yeah which yeah. I notice more now mm. I think there's been there's been so much more awareness of that and I do I hear it more now and I notice it more now mm, so much such rich experience that you're sharing with us thank you so much you're welcome crisis just delicious I have so many <laughs> so many thoughts and so many questions but we need to kind of bring our conversation to towards the end now and can you give us a tippiest top tip for a beautiful <laughs> inside life? And everybody hates this, but like, it's you're so reductive. No, I loved oh, it. I loved it. Oh, you do? Huh? Okay. Yeah, no, I loved it. Hit me. Come on, hit me, Grace. Um, well, I mean, going back to the idea of, you know, my my pictures are a single, a single aquilegia and a, and a no, lots of negative space. Actually, it really brought up that for me, which is, oh, just switch off all the noise and all the, you know. And what I would say is, Access your observing self often. Can you say what that is, please? So the observing self is the you that is not the you that is thinking or speaking or do it. It's the you that is watching you thinking and speaking and doing. So if you ever practice any mindfulness or any meditation, you're accessing your observing self. There's no criticism, no judgment. It just means you step out of the immediate experience and take a step back and observe. And I think that's hugely valuable with all things that we've been talking about being, you know, pulled into acting in certain ways, pulled into behaving in certain ways, pulled into reacting and engaging with our gardening in certain ways, just to take a step back and say, oh, I notice I'm doing that thing again. I notice I'm saying that thing to myself again. I notice... I notice this poppy, I notice this rose, I notice me noticing this rose, just creating 
a sense of expansiveness around the moment's experience whilst being in the moment. And how do we remember? How do we remember that there? Our thoughts are so over, overwhelmingly consuming. So it's so noisy in here. <laughs> yes, it is. It's crowded. Yeah. It's like a rush hour tube train. Yeah. <laughs> know that you will forget to do it. Mm. And then you will remember. Okay. And never beat yourself up for that or think that, you know, that's not how everybody experiences it. But the more often you remember, the more often you will remember. Mm. It's a habit. It's a you know, when I do mindfulness practice regularly, it comes up in all other areas of my life. Mm. When I forget to do it, I forget it all. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a practice, isn't it? It's all a practice. Whether you're weeding your asparagus or... Yeah. Yeah. Writing your report. Thank you so much, Grace. It has been such a deep pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Full of earthy goodness, eh? Well, before I leave the perlite and the compost and the and the trowels in the shed, is there's just time to remind you that Grace's new book, which is called Grow and Gather, A Gardener's Guide to a Year of Cut Flowers, is available from Waterstones to order. And I recommend you sign up to her newsletter too. I just love it. It's so heartwarming. It comes every Sunday. It's like gathering around the hearth for a cup of tea and a chat. It's an absolute treat. And you can find all this stuff over at her website, which is gracealexanderflowers.co.uk. I'd love to hear your responses to our conversation. So do pop over to Instagram and I'm, where you can find me at Kate underscore Codrington and you can join the conversation and take a peek at my garden as well. Though, goodness knows, it's nowhere near as gorgeous as Grace's. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could share it with a friend who might like it or maybe even leave a review. That I would be so grateful if you could do that. And don't forget to join me very soon for another exciting adventure into the inside world. Bye.